podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Stratycast. A bit of a special this week. It's always a special in the week leading up to the, the big game against Liverpool. And we have a special guest which we'll get to in a few moments. But Mike, first, 1-0 um, win over Burnley. Three points clear on top of the Premier League. A lot of reasons to be happy. Yeah, um, I, thought we, uh, I thought we managed that game quite well yesterday. Um, I said to you, um, in terms of how Burnley approached the game in general, that I think if Brexit was a football team, it would definitely be Burnley. I mean, they went for a long punt down the field in the first 25 seconds, just trying to win a knock-on. And then they just spent the rest of the game being cynical, fouling to break up play all the time. It's not not pretty. I appreciate why they have to be that way. You look at the fact that there was something like a... I think there's like nearly a 400 million difference between the value of the two starting 11s that went out there yesterday. So there is there is some reason why Sean Dyche does what he does, but it doesn't mean I have to like it. But I thought uh, we managed the game quite well. I thought Pogba in particular ran the midfield, which was which was nice to see. But I have to say some of the decisions that were made yesterday really scratched the head. And obviously I had a fair bit to say to you about not VAR being bad, but I think how it's implemented in terms of what you have with the Luke Shaw decision and the Robbie Brady thing, which I think it was correct that Luke Shaw was booked. I mean, in reality, it was probably an orange card rather than a yellow, but there is no sort of an in-between of a yellow and a red um, because it was a poor it was a poor challenge. I think we have to say that. I know it was a 50-50, but the way he followed through in the end, he did himself no favours. But it took so long for that decision to be made. And I... For me, VAR is not the issue. VAR, what VAR has done is it has exposed many of the problems in, in the rules of the game and how football is managed that I think have been outdated for about 25 years. But if you look at rugby league and rugby union, you look at how the video assistant referees implemented. It's so efficient. It's so quick. You have a guy in the box. You have the open mics. Everybody can hear what's going on. And this would have been a really good time, by the way, when you don't really have crowds to try or have an open mic so that... You can hear the communications between the referees. You can hear what the referees say to the players. It would help so much and clear up so much confusion about decisions that are being made. You know, if that had been rugby, literally, he would have called up to his guy. He was watching the video. He would have said, this is what happened. This is the decision I recommend. And then the decision is made. And it all takes about 20, 20 to 30 seconds. Instead, it must have taken about two minutes, that whole mess. And then you had the Harry Maguire thing as well, which... I don't think it was a foul. I uh, think Eric Peters was doing that thing that I see Harry Kane do all the time and I've seen a few other players do to win fouls. So they deliberately back into your player when they're in the air, which is actually an incredibly dangerous thing to do. Um, it could lead to that player going over the top, landing on their head or their neck. And it drives me nuts when Harry Kane does it because he does it more than anyone that I've ever seen and nobody mentions it. And I personally think that should be a red card offence for players to do that. Instead, what happened is Harry Maguire gets a goal shorts off and gets penalised for fairly challenging for the ball in the air. But thankfully, we managed to get the win in the end. 
No, that's brilliantly summarised, Mike. But just one thing that I think you left out that we have to touch on is with that Luke Shaw tackle, Gary Neville's commentary was the most bizarre um, that I, in recent memory. Okay, so he gets the ball first, but Gary Neville totally takes that out of consideration. So he went through a red card. I think a yellow card was about fair. I know he pulled back the incident, which happened moments later when Cavani was through in goal and Brady takes him out. I think that yellow card was rescinded and was handed to Shaw. So I think the biggest problem with VAR, and we'll bring in our special guest and ask him about it shortly as well, is just a lack of consistency. And we're, every week it seems that as football fans, we watch any game, there's something that's causing a bit of outrage. And it's all stemming from decisions. And if, if, if the rules aren't written down plain and simple, which they clearly aren't because we're all arguing every single fucking week, when are we going to get this conclusion that we want that VAR is going to be successful? Because no one agrees. You'll find someone from last night that will say that Luke Shoshna got sent off. You'll find those that say yellow card was fair. But we're never going to all agree. So I just think this, this VAR thing, I don't know how they're going to solve it, but I'm sure there'll be more incidents maybe this weekend. And, and with that, we must bring in our, our special guest. We have Stee on from the Empire of the Cop, a popular Liverpool website. Stee, um... You, you just ended your 30-year way to win a league title. Tell us how that felt. Hello, lads, first and foremost. Um, yeah, of course, it was an unbelievable feeling to actually finally get there. Um, my entire life, Liverpool have always been uh, the underdogs. Uh, so to actually see us get to a point where we were so far ahead of everybody else, yeah, it was unbelievable. Um, the kind of thing that you can only really dream of for someone like me. You're growing up, as I say, with Liverpool being that sort of underdog team. Yeah, it, it's it's obviously to be the underdog team and then to win the league in the manner in which he did last season. That 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 was a, it was a big big jump from from years say under Julio Benitez. You got pretty close with Benitez, but but not close enough. But then Klopp to come in and and really win the league at a canter. Um, that's some difference. Yeah, of course. I mean, um, what he's done at the club in in five years has been. Uh, you know, it's, it's been hard to hard to believe what's happening, to be honest with you. Some of the players that we brought in as well. I mean, the most recent one, uh, Thiago, um, he's came in and he's the kind of player that we would have stood no chance in signing uh, just a few years ago. But, you know, Jurgen Klopp's now put us back into a position where we are, you know, um, one of the best teams in the world again. And we can bring in these kinds of players. And, you know, it's uh, as ever, it's nice to see uh, your club winning trophies. Of course it is, and we're hoping for the same under Solskjaer. Mike, from from an outsider's um, point of view, what what's what's been your view on Jurgen Klopp? Obviously, a Liverpool manager, United fans aren't supposed to like him, but but I will say that for the first few few years he was at Anfield, I actually had no problems with him. Um, in comparison to previous managers like Benitez, who I I strongly dislike. <laughs> Uh, what, listen, whatever you, you, you think of, of Klopp, you have to respect the work he's done. You also have to respect that the Liverpool as a club gave him time to do that because he didn't come in and just start winning everything yeah. straight away. There was a fair few bumps in the road. I think some of the initial recruitment, especially with defenders and goalkeepers, was a little bit dicey. But given the time and given the support, he was able to really implement what he wanted to do. And... Uh, I think Klopp as well also has really developed as as a manager. I think he's a little bit more pragmatic, 
not in a bad way, in a, in a, in a good way, in that he's able to alter his approach a little bit more for different matches, which I think, going back to his earlier you know, season or so at Liverpool, you didn't get as much. And also back at Dortmund, he was a little bit more stubborn in sticking to the same approach. But I think there's the recognition, in part, the greater intensity of the Premier League in general, and also the greater volume of games, has meant that he's had to alter his approach a bit be a little bit more fluid about what he does with his players tactically. And I think with the squad, obviously they've got the injuries right now, but generally when you have everybody fit, he's got the squad exactly where he wants it. And that is because he's been given time. And that is something you, of course, Dale always advocated for for Oli. And I'm sure for for Steve, he can look at you know teams like United and Arsenal going through some difficult periods over the last two years and, and have that benefit of hindsight to say, well, if you actually give the manager the time and support, he may actually be able to do something really good. So I have a lot of time for how they've done it. They've been patient and they've they've delivered on that. And it's not just being the best team in the country last season. I mean, the season before they finished with 97 points, it ended up being runner-up only by a point and they won the European Cup. So I think you could almost make the argument that they were the joint best team in the division with City the previous season as well. Steve, you cover obviously Liverpool on a daily basis and you're looking at what the fans are saying. So so since Klopp has come in and throughout the years, there have obviously Mike has mentioned bumps along the way. How did fans react to that? Was there ever a case in re- recent years that there was a section of fans that were really questioning Klopp? Because this season we've really seen it with Solskjaer and you look at the league table now and I've always maintained that it, that we should be looking at things with a long-term perspective and, and to, to analyse the team with what he's been given and how much backing he's been getting from the board. And I think considering that, Solskjaer's doing a really good job. The question to you is, was there ever a time um, to date under Klopp where fans were kind of scratching their head, maybe when there was no trophies coming and before the Champions League came? Yeah, I mean... There's always a small section of fans that will turn on the manager, even if it's um, just a case of being overly critical, I'd say, uh, which is something that we are seeing right now with Solskjaer. And also a little bit with Klopp, because people are getting frustrated at um, Klopp's lack of substitutions, even though he's advocating for the five substitution rule and stuff like that. But um, I think when, when Klopp first came in, there's a slight difference to how Solskjaer is now at Manchester United. Um, our fall from grace was a lot more dramatic, I think, than what you guys are going through at the minute. So when we brought in Klopp, it was a case of, wow, how have we managed to bring in such a great manager? Considering we were only a few years a few years back, we were employing Roy Hodgson, you know what I mean? Um, so for, for you guys to bring in Tolstoy, <laughs> you know... <laughs> It's, 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 we, we did have David Moyes, to be fair. Yeah. That's true, yeah. <laughs> no, but on that, it's, it, it's interesting because, you know, Mike went through of how much backing that he needed. Um, I think that a lot of fans, Liverpool fans, would have understood that, that there was a lot of work to be done. You mentioned how your father, Grace, was, was significant and the work that he's done. But again, and it's important to stress, he didn't do that work overnight. You know, it wasn't a quick fix. And I think Klopp was someone who set out his stalls quite early and envisioned what he wanted in X amount of years. And I think he definitely got there, 100%. And it's this thing with football fans, they kind of expect this quick fix. In the long run, I think it doesn't work. 
you know, it, it, I don't think it really works. And we're seeing on their clock now, he's having, I, w- I wouldn't say a wobbly spell. I think look at the league table, you're three points behind first. I know you're defending a title, but, you know, it, if that's if that's a disaster, I'd hate to see what a real disaster is, you know? Yeah, I mean, um, just speaking about uh, Liverpool fans, as you say, I, I cover it quite, quite a lot. So I see a lot of fan reactions and stuff like that. And I think that uh, at the minute, uh, we've got a, a small like underbelly of fans that are quite spoiled in a way. Uh, they've seen this Liverpool team over the last couple of years, last few years maybe, and mm. um, you know they've seen us just dominate in Europe and in the you know at home. And um, we're now got to a point where you know we we've we've got these injuries and and, and in some ways, uh, even though you know there was a lot of coverage of it at the time, I think some of our own fans are actually underplaying the importance of Virgil van Dijk and Joe Gomez to this Liverpool team. Because we've got, uh, going into the game against you guys, we've got our best-case scenario is that we'll have one fifth senior centre-half. Uh, obviously, Fabinho is playing there, and he's playing very well. But he's a, he is a midfielder, and we are losing him from midfield. And I think all these things coming into play, a lot of people are forgetting at the minute. So they're seeing this sort of rough patch that we're going through. Mm. And they're thinking, oh, no, you know, Klopp's starting to lose his marbles and stuff like that. And that's not the case. Uh, he's, he's still the manager he was a year ago. He'll still, you know, do great things for us this season. I'm sure we'll probably win a trophy. I don't know which one. I'm not going to say which one. But I'm sure we'll win at least one. But, yeah, I mean, we're just riding this wave at the minute, uh, these injuries that we've got. Um, like, you know, a lot of clubs have got some really bad injuries at the minute as well. We're not the only team. But, yeah, I, I just think at the minute we've got some fans who are just a, a little bit a little bit spoiled, I'd say. Um, sorry, Dale, I've just got to jump in here. Steve, you mentioned the injuries and obviously um, Klopp advocating for bringing in five subs rather than three. You know, I would go even further personally and say that it should be you can use as many subs as you want. Um, I think with the volume of games at the moment, do you think him not substituting players? Do you think that's just because of the lack of options off the bench, or do you think he's making a point? Because people had this discussion about Guardiola about two or three weeks ago as well. I think uh, I think it's a case by case basis. You've got to go. You've got to judge each situation um, for what it is. Like if we've got a particularly rough week where we might have you know three games within like nine days or something like that, uh, I think there's going to be a lot more rotation. Whereas if we've not, if certain players haven't played in a week or they've just came back from injury, they might play the full ninety minutes. So I do think it's a case by case basis. Uh, and just on the five substitutions rule, I do agree. I think. Um, players' health is the main thing and uh, the more that we can get this rotation in so players can spend a little bit less time playing the way they do because they play at a, a ridiculous level and you can see the difference. Like People talk about football like it's an easy thing to do and we've seen it in the FA Cup when Marine took on Spurs the other day. You could see that the Spurs players are just on a complete, in a completely different universe to the Marine players. You know, They go through these rigorous um, training routines and they play they're expected to play so many games per week. Uh, so when these fixtures all stack up, yeah, I, I do think there needs to be more rotation, like you say. On a player who I suppose you haven't seen a lot of this season, a new signing, Thiago Alcantara, we know a lot about him because you know, we're linked with him for years. And again in the summer, it seemed like he was linked to a number of clubs. Um, what happened? Was it a matter of Bayern offering him around? And, and, and this season, you've not seen a lot of him. It has been... A, unfortunate case of injuries or do you reckon that Bayern saw this coming like they did with Bastian Schweinsteiger and we um, unfortunately bought I think um, 
Well, from my understanding, um, I don't have any information, but from what I've seen, other people saying, is um, obviously there was there was three main interested parties over the summer. There was Liverpool, Barcelona, and Manchester United, um, and we came out on top. I I, I imagine Jurgen yeah, Klopp had a big part in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and in terms of him not playing uh, or the injuries, the injury that he's re- uh, received this season is, I, I think his injury was a bit of a special case. It wasn't like he picked it up, like the way Joel Matip does at the minute, where he'll mm. just, you know, a gust of wind will hit him and all of a sudden he's out for a fortnight. With Thiago, he was clattered by Richarlison. Um, so I, it's not a big surprise, really, that he got an injury from that. I don't think that's got much, much to do, really, with... Did he have COVID as well? I just imagine that. Um, I... I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to say because I can't remember. I know there's been a number of players that have yeah. had it in the squad. I think, to be honest, yeah. it's a good job he didn't come to United because it would have only been a matter of the two of them, except for Danny van der Beek playing fucking solitaire on the bench. You know, the, yeah. we, we haven't seen a lot of Danny van der Beek. And again, I, I again I look at the the situation with that and I, I see we're winning football matches. And if we weren't fo- winning football matches, then I'd probably raise that question. But you can't really change a formula that's winning. No, of course not. Um, but I mean, we've we seen it when we first signed Fabinho, uh, just, to, just to bring the point back to Liverpool. Because if not, I can't lie, I've not seen much of you guys this season. Mm. Uh, although now I'll probably have a bit more interest in you. Um, yeah, when we first signed Fabinho, although he came in and was very clearly one of the best defensive midfielders in the world, he didn't play week in, week out. He had to he had to adjust to our playing style. Uh, maybe that's something that you're seeing at the minute with um, Danny. Uh, I'm not entirely sure, uh, but you know, there's, a, there's an embedding process. Uh, yeah. Certain players as well, that, through the years that we've had, Lucas and Henderson, they didn't get off to the best of starts and they had to slowly work their way into the team. And, you know, if given time, like what you're saying about Solskjaer, if given time, I'm sure he'll turn into, you know, a solid midfield option for you. Steve, um, I want to ask you a little bit more about Fabino because he's a player that both Dale and I are a big, big fan of. Um, and obviously he's been filling in defence to him uh, really, really well. Can you just explain to us though, what, what it's taken away from the midfield to not have him in there? Absolutely, yeah. I think that's something that's going under the radar a lot at the minute. Um, Fabinho is the anchor to our midfield, as, as I'm sure you know. Without him in midfield, the defenders aren't getting quite as much help as what they used to. Jordan Henderson runs back and does an admirable job. Uh, but Jordan Henderson is a very good at everything, not great at anything kind of player. So he can't do the role the same as Fabinho. So the defenders, which now includes Fabinho, uh, and usually one of the youngsters, uh, Reese Williams or you know the slightly older Nat Phillips, um, they've got to put up with a lot more pressure than they'd have been used to uh, with Fabinho in midfield because uh, he acts like a fishing net in a way where he stops a lot of things. A lot of the things that he does goes unseen, which is you know something quite similar to Genie Van Alden too. Um, Steve, going going into the game at the weekend and um, with Manchester United on top with three points clear, is there extra pressure on Liverpool? Yeah, um, if you said if you'd have asked me that before, you just won last night though, I'd have probably said no. Um, it was only after the fact of you winning that I thought, you know what? Yeah, th- there is a lot more pressure on it now. I, I, I was saying to a few of the uh, colleagues at work, I said to them about. Two months ago, I think it was. Uh, I turned around and said, I'd love for us to play United now because it would be like a cricket score. Now, uh, I'm going into this game at the weekend and thinking, do you know what? If someone said to me a horrible 1 0 win, uh, Maguire on goal, 90th minute, I'd take it right now, to be honest with you. Um, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> 
I'm not too confident in the way that we're playing at the minute. And obviously, you guys have been playing very well. You've been, you know, racking the points up, of course, because now you're top. Um, and I'd love to point at the teams that you've played and say, oh, you've been playing these teams and getting these points. But we've been playing teams of a similar calibre and we've not been doing quite as well. So, yeah, I'm going into it and thinking there's a lot of pressure on this uh, this game. Does, does it throw extra in the mix, the fact that we play we play again um, shortly after in the FA Cup? You know, I was looking at that and I was like, brilliant. Obviously, getting Liverpool in the Cup, there's a bit of spice in that, but... Does it take a bit out of it that we're playing each other so in such quick succession? And of course, with that, it's a shame that the one year we get you in the FA Cup, there's no fans going to be out of game. So it, I don't think it feels quite the same. I expect a bit of squad rotation as well in both teams of that cup game. Yeah, like you say, it, it is a massive shame. We're going to be going to it's, it's a, the biggest game in football uh, with no fans uh, twice in the space of, what is it, two weeks? Yeah. It's like a t- the ultimate tease. Yeah, it's it's well, it's not it's not what you want to see. You don't want to see an empty Anfield and an empty Old Trafford, but it's it is the times that we're living in at the minute. Hopefully not for too long, of course. But you know, yeah, like like you say, I think the the FA Cup clash being so close to the Premier League clashes, you're basically going to see almost two different teams. Like Mike just suggested, there you're going to see. I think the Premier League one is obviously going to be the forefront. That's going to be your, your main one. And then I think when it comes to the FA Cup, I think it's going to be treated as almost like an afterthought, which Liverpool versus Manchester United should never be an afterthought. But I think this time around, especially with no fans in the stadium and with the way that we seem to treat the FA Cup, I, I don't really see it being a, a serious matter. Well, see, that's the thing, Mike, and that's where I come to you. Solskjaer needs a trophy. Um and I really don't feel going into that game against Liverpool that he, he can he can feel a weak inside. But I don't think he has to either. There's a lot of players there like we've seen um, against Watford. A lot of them didn't really perform. But I'm looking at Donny van de Beek who can come in and do a job. Paul Pogba, I think, needs game time. You know, he, he's had a lot of time out recently. I know he's coming back into the side now. But he's not someone that needs a rest. Um, there's a number of players there, Mike. So I think at the FA Cup, I reckon Solskjaer is going to go for that one as well. I think he should put a strong side out for that because I, I, I think uh, Klopp will rotate. I mean, as much as he can rotate when you've got so many injuries, but um, I, I um, maybe it'd be worth taking advantage of that. I wouldn't say a, a free pass because I remember thinking about this last season when um, Liverpool had that insane schedule and one of the games they, they, were, they were against Everton in the Cup and they just basically they put a second string 11 and they still beat them. So um, I don't... <laughs> I don't want to say a free hit for sure, but I think he should put out a strong team. I would maybe rest Bruno. But yeah, I think you mentioned Pogba and, and Van der Beek. I'd probably pay Edinson Cavani as well, actually, in, in that game and get him playing as well. And I think that's that's a big game for us. Solskjaer really does need to win a trophy this year, especially with losing that semi-final to Manchester City, who I think both United and Liverpool going into this game on Sunday will be looking over their shoulders at City probably more than anybody else, I think. Steve, with United gain a bit of momentum in the league this season, is there any players on Sunday that you'd be looking at thinking, ooh, he's a good addition, maybe Cavani or someone who's coming back in after his suspension? Yeah, I mean, you can't really look further than Cavani, can you? Um, obviously, he's a, a, a player of, of some age, but... 
you know, there's, there's, there's no real problem with that. He's a world-class striker. We've seen him before, PSG came to Anfield. We know the sort of qualities that he's got. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you're going to be looking at the likes of Cavani and also the sort of turn of form that Pogba seems to be having at the minute. Uh, and, of course, we're looking at the likes of uh, Rashford. Um, and Martial's obviously playing better than what he has been uh, in the last few years. So there's definitely a few danger men that you've got that we need to keep an eye on. You know? Who on the Liverpool side of things is performing at the moment and who isn't? Um... I've seen a lot of things being written this year. Now, obviously, again, I would come to someone like you who, who kind of looks at things more sensibly than others. Um, but there's been a lot said about Sadio Mane this season, and again, I'm thinking like there's there's no doubt in his ability, but has he been going through a bit of a a dry dry patch? I, th- I think it's, it's a difficult it's a difficult to judge our front three at times because of the, the roles that they all play mm. they all kind of uh, play as one unit. So as long as one of them scoring, it doesn't really matter all that much. Salah is obviously having a fantastic season. It's, uh, I think it's his best sort of uh, goal-to-game ratio since he signed for us. Uh, that first season when he signed for us, I should say. Um, Mane, uh, yeah, I guess for Mane's high standard, he, he is going through a little bit of a dry spell, uh, but I'm not particularly worried. Uh, it's not to the point where I'd be thinking, oh, it's time to bring in Minamino. So, yeah, I'm not particularly worried. In terms of players that are not performing too well, it's it's the lads that we've... The lads that you probably won't see uh, this Sunday, to be honest with you. Although you might you might see one of the young centre-halves come in, um, Nat Phillips and Reese Williams, who, you know, are, are doing an admirable job. But obviously, they're not up to the standard of Joe Gomez and Joel Matip. Mike... We'd obviously take a point at Anfield at the weekend, come out of there with a point and stay three points clear. You know, that would be a good result. But is there any ways you'd see United going out to hurt Liverpool? Um, the Pacific area I'm talking about is an area we've exploited before against them. Is Trent down that right-hand side with, with Rashford. Um, obviously one of the best right-backs in the league. We spoke about him last week, but there are questions there, Mike, no? Um, yeah, he's a little bit of a drop off of form this season. I think just because of, and I said it's just because he's still a he's still a young player, and I think this is just sort of peaks and troughs that young players go through before he then really develop and hit their peak, which is kind of scary to think what his peak's going to be when you consider how good he's been. But there is some weaknesses of his game defensively. I don't think he's as as good as Robertson on the other side. And I said last week, and I think you agreed. He, I think he, there's an argument to be made for that Andy Roberts is maybe the best fullback in the world, frankly, because I think he's that good. So I think that will be something they're looking to maybe exploit. I think maybe Rashford going down the left um, to try and sort of um, hit them on the counter attack. I think I think this is going to be a very cagey game, to be quite honest with you, because I think an hour we're going to play. I think Ollie will maybe try and get an early goal and then try and suck a Liverpool on the counter. Liverpool are going to be expecting that and they're going to be liking it to two technical boxers figuring each other out for maybe five or six rounds and just sort of sitting behind the jab. You, you're going to be seeing a, a little bit of that. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if it was a nil-nil draw, Dale. I'll just quickly, I, I, there is someone I did want to sort of ask, someone who's kind of broken through at Liverpool this season, I wanted to ask Steve about who has a bit more of a close-up view of him. Curtis Jones is the young midfielder who's, who's broken through this season because of the injuries. 
I've seen him once or twice. He's looked really impressive. What could you tell us about him? And do you think he's going to be featuring in this game? Yeah, I have to talk about Curtis Jones for about half an hour, if you like. Um, <laughs> I, I, I love Curtis Jones. Um, you know, he, he grew up down the road from me, which is always... I think, I think that sort of attachment that you can have to certain players sometimes can maybe make it a little bit biased towards them. Um, but I do try and look at things uh, without rose-tinted glasses on. And I would say that uh, Curtis Jones' ability is very raw. Uh, there's a lot to his game. Uh, he, he's certainly capable of playing as a box-to-box, I'd say. But you are looking at more of a attacking midfielder. Uh, certainly for the under-23s, he's played more as a 10 than anything else. And for Liverpool, he's been playing as more of an 8, I'd say, and, be, and being allowed to give licence to go forward a bit more when we're able to play like Vijnaldum and Henderson behind him uh, in the absence of Naby Keita. And I think that's really the opportunities he's been given this season is because of the injuries to Naby Keita. Um, but I think over the summer, the idea was when we let Lalana leave was that Curtis Jones would come in and effectively replace Lalana. Uh, but I think this season he's probably played more games than Lalana did last season. Um, and in my opinion, he's he's done a little bit better. So, although there's a lot, there are some things that he needs to work on with his game. Um, you know, he, he backs himself all the way, uh, and so do Liverpool fans. So, I think he's going to be really one to look out for in the future. But as I say, there are some things that he does need to to work on. So yeah, so we we, we spoke about the game overall, Liverpool season. Um, and your expectations, you made it very clear, are still to win a trophy. And I think. That's something that even we, in our position, we're hoping to do. It's not something we're expecting to do. So we still have a lot of work um, to do to get to, the, to that level where we can expect trophies every season. But I do think United are going in the right direction, um, as the table the table says that. And it's just good. Like no, None of us are, are, are saying here on the podcast that we expect United to win the league. We don't, um, to be quite honest. But it's just nice to kind of to be there. To be there about again because it's been so long since we've been competing for a title. One of my predictions, the at the beginning of the season, and I've been repeating it the past few weeks to to Mike to to let him aware of it. I want your thoughts on it. My prediction at the beginning was the top three: Man City, United, and Liverpool. Do you fancy finishing third? Hmm. Uh, <laughs> I say it's bold to put the rain in champions third, uh, but. It's a strange season, isn't it? That, that that's the one thing we can we can all agree on that this isn't typical of the Premier League because Liverpool were so distant to everyone else when they won it last year. You know, they they were distant to even an incredible city team managed by Guardiola. Had spent fortunes and some fantastic players. Liverpool were that good, and I, this isn't normal for a team to defend the title in, in January and to be three points behind, not when they were that good. So you look at the results this season, Steve, and they've been crazy. Yeah, it's uh, like you say, it's, it is a mad season. We saw that against Aston Villa, for example. Um, that was the same weekend we conceded six as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so when you've got Liverpool conceding seven and United conceding six in the same game week, you know, there's something not quite Play right there, well, yeah, like I say, it's it's a mad season. Anyone can beat anyone, which again we saw last week. So yeah, I mean, the, the, at the start of the season to say you know um, City, United, Liverpool is a bit of a bold take. Uh, if you were to say it now, I think there'd be more people would be inclined to go. Oh, do you know what? Probably yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and just on what you were saying there about um, expecting trophies this season, as a bit of a sort of parallel to the way Liverpool fans were feeling when Klopp came in, um, we were sort of in amongst semi-finals and finals, and we were sort of within a shout of the title race, and we were happy enough with that, I would say. Mm. Um, I think uh, I think the expectation uh, for Solskjaer now, if I was uh, a Manchester United fan. <laughs> I think uh, I would be happy enough to be in the title race and also just close to getting silverware. Obviously, ideally, if I was in your position, I would be thinking, I want the FA Cup. But if, if you were able to progress past us and then get to you know the final or the semi-final and then be within the title race until the final weeks, you know, maybe even win it, you never know. I would be happy with that in your position, I think. Mike, on that note? I would agree with that, actually. I'd still like us to win a trophy this season. I'd be happy with the FA Cup and us finishing in a, the top three again, as long as we've got a higher points total than we, than we got last year, which I think is I think is possible. I do suspect there's probably going to be no more than about four or five points between first and third this year um, come, come the end of the season. I wouldn't be surprised. I'd just be curious to, to know what Steve thinks at who... Concerns him more out of the the two Manchester teams for the the league title race. You know the answer to that one. You, we've already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering how ominous City looks in the last couple of weeks. That's all. Yeah, I mean you can't ignore Manchester City, really, can you? Um, but I would say that Manchester United, um, like I say, only two months ago, I was I was not really thinking of this as a threat um, in the game. Never mind the league title. Um, so, I mean, it shows the sort of progress that you're making on the Solskjaer. It's obvious to see. Uh, anyone who says otherwise is just uh, deluded, to be honest. Um, out of the two, who concerns me more? Um, it, it, it's still City, but that might change in a year or two, I'd say. I think uh, City have been consistently a threat for a while now, whereas you guys, you know, with all due respect, are only just becoming a threat to us again. So, I would say City for now. Uh, but this weekend, obviously, it's it's you because we're playing you. Obviously, Steve, it probably goes back to, to Liverpool's rise on their clock. But you mentioned, and I'd be the same, and Liverpool, I don't watch you every week. You mentioned you don't watch us, so you haven't been keeping track of how we've been playing. But but this surge to, to the top, the, it, it, it's, it's not based on us playing jaw-dropping football. Um, but I do believe there's a sense of momentum behind the team right now. And they're getting the tough results. Like Burnley last night wasn't a particularly easy game. Burnley sit back, they're well organised. They will grind out results if they can. And they make things very, very difficult for you. There's been teams that have done that, have been trying to have to Liverpool for years. And you know all about it. But I think what what, what this is a little bit different to say Chelsea and, and Spurs in recent weeks is because of Manchester United and what we're about and what we should be doing every season, that momentum could spoil out of control and, beca- and I'm hoping it becomes something as I hope it becomes something very real but also I think what you touched on is maybe Liverpool experienced this in the first few years in their club is that little taste of what things could be and that could make players a lot hungrier in seasons to come that they that they, they've shown now that they can be up there with Liverpool and they'll be up there with City in the league they are good enough to do that the question is can can they believe they can do it consistently and if you're not you can go to Anfield the weekend like I said, I take a draw. But if they can go and get a win, the boost momentum that would bring should should send a warning throughout the league. But 
I'm looking at City, looking at their two games in hand, a relatively easy fixture list in the next few weeks. I wouldn't be surprised in five, six weeks they were they were top. Yeah, that's a good idea. Uh, I think uh, City are primed to take the top spot soon. Uh, like we're going to have to be fighting over it for the next couple of weeks, but then within a month it'll be it'll be them, and then we'll be chasing them for a bit. Like you say earlier, you said um, that there's uh, I think it might have been Mike actually that said it, that there's only going to be about four or five points between the top three spots, and I do believe that we're not going to see a repeat of last season, and we're probably not going to see a repeat of last season for a number of years, to be honest yes. with you. Um, momentum, uh, I would say the. Uh, the sign of Bruno Fernandes, um, obviously we all know the revelation that he's been since he's came in. And I think signings like Bruno Fernandes can lift a whole squad. We saw it with Virgil van Dijk. When you bring in a player who's very clearly world-class, um, it, it can it can raise everyone else's performance around you. And I think you might be seeing that a little bit with Pogba at the moment. Uh, he's starting to look a bit more like the Juventus Pogba that we that we saw, uh, you know, I'm sure you guys will be hoping that you'll see that Pogba again. Um, well, yeah, yeah that's, like the, that's the thing, though, Steve. Sorry to interrupt, but Liverpool have ha- have made those signings throughout the years. Okay, you look at Fernando Torres came in, and he pretty much he lifted a lot of the players there. Steven Gerrard him had a fantastic under- understanding, but still, they didn't have enough to cross that line to go win the league. They got close, and then there was Luis Suarez came in, fantastic, lifted everyone. They got very close again. Virgil van Dijk, they got across the line. Yeah, I mean, I think, like you say, van Dijk came in, but also did, you know, shortly afterwards, uh, around the same time. Alisson came in a few years before that, Sadio Mane, Mohamed Salah. So we were already putting these building blocks in place, whereas Mm. previously when we've signed players like Luis Suarez, we've also had players in the squad like Charlie Adam. Um, so you know, it's it's not been exactly, it's it's been a, a star-studded mess really. Uh, whereas now, um, well, when when Van Dyke came in, I'm not going to say now because now it's a bit well obvious really. But like when Van Dyke first came in, it was obvious that there was other stars in the team. Whereas when Torres came in, it was Torres and Gerard surrounded by you know fairly average players. And I'm probably disrespecting somebody there because I've forgotten somebody, but. You know they were the they were the two stars, uh, but I think um, I think with Manchester United you've got a bit more than that. You know you've got a world class goalkeeper in David de Gea, you've got you know a, a very good defender in uh, Harry Maguire. You know Bruno Fernandez, world class Pogba, world class on his day. Martial again, world class on his day. Cavani, you know his name speaks for itself. Rashford, up and coming striker. You've got a lot of players in the team that could build that momentum. So. I do think that bringing in Fernandez is a bit more of a Van Dyke than bringing in uh, Suarez and having Charlie Adam feeding through balls. Mike, before we wrap it up, um, I want to get your thoughts, pre-match thoughts in the game and how you think it's going to go on Sunday. Well, I alluded to it before. I think it's going to be a very cagey affair, um, especially the first half. Um, I mean, I could be completely wrong, of course, considering how the season's gone, but quite a few of these big games this season... Uh, especially some of the ones United have been involved in have been very cagey affairs, which is understandable because in your position, you know how United are going to approach the big games because the way that they have approached them under Solskjaer has been tremendously effective. By and large, Liverpool is an exception because our record has not been great in those games. But I'm honestly, I'm expecting a nil-nil draw, Dale. Steve? Yeah, I, I, I do feel somewhat similar. I think uh, both teams are going to be a little bit wary of each other. 
Um, obviously, for Liverpool, we've got the home advantage. The fans aren't going to be there, but there's a psychological thing of this is Anfield, and I'm sure you're all sick to death of hearing that we haven't lost in the league since April 2017 at Anfield. So that is going to have a big psychological effect on both teams. Um, I think it is going to be a cagey affair, like uh, like Mike says there. I think both teams are going to be a bit scared of each other. And as I say, I'd, I'd, take, I'd take a scruffy 1-0 right now if you handed it to me. So I'm leaning towards 0-0 and 1-0. So I, I'm going to go bold and say Liverpool are going to win 1-0. Yeah, I think those that's that nervy feeling that I sensed at the beginning of the game against Burnley last night kind of made me think that no matter who you're up against, the position in which Manchester United are in right now, there's going to be extra nerves because you look at the squad and how many league winners are in it, there's not many. Nemanja Matic is one who doesn't play most weeks. He won two with Chelsea. De Gea won a league at United. And there's not many there, so that know-how and nous may be lacking. Um, I think at, at Anfield on Sunday, though, I'm looking at it two ways. I'm looking at this, this United team going in and really wanting to prove a point and Liverpool having won the league last season, looking at the results of late, we really couldn't ask for a better time to play him. And but still saying that I would take a draw and just the remaining three points clear on top of the league is, is it would be priority. I think and I'm gonna gonna go a bit further than Mike, I'm gonna say a two 0 win for United. I do think I think there's a momentum building in that camp. I don't think Liverpool are gonna be looking forward to the game. Um I really don't. Obviously, they're going to want to set the record straight. They're going to want to lock United off their, off their rhythm. But I think there's too much rhythm right now. And Solskjaer doesn't need to say much to those players. That's that's the thing about this game. You don't. What can you tell a United player before they go out to Anfield to play Liverpool? They should know already. Go out and make yourself a hero. It's quite simple. Go out and do your job. Go out and win every tackle. Go into every tackle stronger than your opponent. And win the game. It's not going to be easy, and I'm making it sound very simplistic, but I think if you'd, if every player goes out and does their job and doesn't lose their head and actually plays you know, plays the game on the pitch, I reckon it's United. United. Am I being a bit optimistic, Mike? You're always being a bit optimistic. <laughs> you have to be on this podcast. You have to, if, you read, if you read United's Twitter, people are losing their mind because the... I think the world's going to end. You know, there was a few, this season, we, we can't forget that people were calling for the manager's head. People wanted Pochettino brought in and we're sitting we're sitting here talking in January and we're first on the table. Don't expect us to sit there. But as kind of Steve alluded to when, when, when things were starting for Klopp, they were happy to be there or thereabouts. This Manchester United team haven't been there or thereabouts for years. The season we finished second with Mourinho in charge when City won the league, you can't say we were there or thereabouts because we were 19 points behind Point C. Uh, don't be denigrating Jose Mourinho's self-proclaimed greatest achievement in football. <laughs> Give me a break. Steve, it was an absolute credit having you on the podcast. Um, how can people follow you on Twitter, your own person? I'm not sure they're going to be interested in Empire Cop. I don't know if they'll be that interested in me either, to be honest with you, but you can find me on Twitter at SJR Carson. Brilliant. And you're a great sport. Mike, how can people follow you on, on Twitter? Uh, they can't anymore, so because uh, I deleted it. So just follow uh, the Stratticast. Follow the Twitter account for this podcast. Brilliant. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Acast, which is the host provider. 
get your Manchester United news this week from straightynews.com. We're going to have loads of stuff in the lead up to that game against Liverpool. Um, the editor of Empire of the Cop, Jordan, will be coming on doing a Q&A. So we'll be getting his thoughts. And this podcast will be probably uploaded to YouTube as well. So you'll get it there. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Come on the Reds. Podcast Network.